So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. The Holy Spirit came and dwelled all those who believed already. Some started to speak in tongues, which we talked about last week, were known languages of other people. So people were hearing the gospel in their own language. People that were speaking those languages, it was a miraculous sign from God. They were speaking languages that they never actually learned. So by this whole thing, some were amazed and interested, so they asked questions. You remember that? Some were amazed and interested, and they asked questions, but others mocked and said, these guys must be drunk. What's going on here? What's going on? So basically, we're going to pick up in Acts 2, 14 through 15. It says this, but Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. So Peter now basically says, listen, you guys are wrong. The ones of you that are mocking, they're obviously not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. So Peter now, what he's going to do is he's going to break into a sermon. He's going to deliver a sermon. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through these passages. We have a lot to cover today, about 30 verses, but I couldn't chop his sermon in half. And uh, so basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the passages while explaining the context and why Peter used the Old Testament passages that he used and said the things that he said. Now, one of the things that I want to point out is that when Peter was preaching, he used scriptures that he studied and made the connection for the people. And that's what we strive to do here on Sundays, right? I get up here and we use scriptures, okay? I don't get up here and be like, oh, I got a funny story to tell you, or I got like a little anecdote or, or some quotes from some guy who died 10 years ago. We don't do that. We spend time in the scriptures because the scriptures are where the power are. So Peter starts off and he says this, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be. God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall, see, shall dream dreams. Now, this passage that Peter quotes is actually from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. Peter used this passage because at the time of Joel, Israel was actually devastated by a locust invasion, ravaged the land. They're all farmers. So these locusts came, ravaged the land, and really decimated them, decimated their whole economic system because they had nothing to sell or, and they, they had nothing to eat. So the prophet Joel was coming to the people and bringing words of encouragement about God's future plans. So that's what was happening in the day of Joel. So basically now Peter takes this passage and looks at it and says, okay, so when Peter was studying this, he heard about this, he knew what was happening in that time, but then he said, well, what's going on here? Okay, what, what is actually God saying? So now the Holy Spirit comes and all of a sudden Peter's like, oh, that must have been what Joel was talking about. There will be a day that will come when all people will tr that trust God will receive his spirit. These are known as the last days. So now Joel is saying like, oh, okay, or Peter is saying, 
here's the connection. Here's what Joel was talking about. The spirit will be poured out. So in the scriptures, the last days are known as the time from Jesus' coming, the first time, until the second coming and the millennial reign. So if anybody ever asks you, do you think we're in the last days? You can be like, we are, okay? Because Jesus came the first time. We're waiting for him to come the second time. So they were starting off, in a sense, the last days. So now Peter goes on in verse 18, 18 through 20. Even on my male, so he's talking about the spirit being poured out. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, <laughs> I will pour out my spirit. This is God speaking through Joel. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs of earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord, the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. So first I want to point out a few things here. So when God says he's going to pour out his spirit, then he talks about even on the male and female servants. Basically what's happening here is God is, is telling us anyone can receive God's spirit. There's no distinction, okay? Rich, poor, slave, free, no matter what, where you grew up, what part of the world you're in, it does not matter. If a person believes in Christ, there's no distinction. God would not say, oh, I don't want that one. Okay? Basically, if a person trusts in Christ, the spirit is poured out on them. But this passage is also an already for Peter and the people that are there, but also a not yet, and already and not yet. And you've heard me say this before when we were in Daniel. There are certain passages that happened already, and then certain passages that were waiting to happen. So the already is what happened on the day of Pentecost. They were witnessing, they were witnessing the Holy Spirit being poured out. So that was the already that happened. The not yet were the signs and the wonders that we're going to see through the book of Acts. Now, what you have to understand about our study in the book of Acts, they were living the New Testament. We have it now, right? We look and say, okay, that's what happened then. And then we know the New Testament. We can connect the passages and stuff. They were literally living out the New Testament at that time. So we're going to see these signs and wonders and these amazing things happen through the apostles with the power through the Holy Spirit that God has given them to do certain things like heal people and perform miracles. But there is more not yet, and that's the end of this passage. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon blood before the day of the Lord comes a great magnificent day. So Peter alludes to the tribulation time. Peter alludes to a time that we have not seen yet. So then there's prophecy that's being fulfilled every day since Peter's sermon, and that is what's going to happen here. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Peter's going to remind them now. Here's what's going on. Here's the gospel message. He reminds that the gospel is for everyone who trusts in Jesus. And it shall come to pass. So he's saying this is a prophecy, and it shall come to pass. So basically what he's saying is what you're about to witness, what you're going to see even today, what you're going to see in the weeks to come as the church grows, Peter's saying to them, it shall come to pass. Here's what's going to happen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. Now, this is groundbreaking for those people, right? Because if you were not Jewish, okay, you were lost. Okay? In that culture, if you were not Jewish, if you were not born a Jew, if you were not raised a Jew, you were pretty much lost. So now, all of a sudden, here comes Peter in front of all these Jewish people saying, listen, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So then Peter hits all the points of the gospel. Let's start off. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So basically he starts off and he says, hey, you know all you people here? You guys witnessed this. You saw Jesus walking around. He was doing this stuff for three and a half years. He was doing miracles. He was teaching people about the kingdom. This is something that you saw. Then he goes on. says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held down by it. So now Peter says, Jesus was crucified. He was crucified, but he was not held down by death. You know, when you hear me every single week, some think maybe it's like a broken record. What do I say, right? Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. He rose from the grave to do what? To prove that he is God. Okay, that's from this, isn't it? To prove that he is God. The grave can't hold him down. Other religions worship dead people. We worship a risen Savior. The grave could not hold him down. But notice it says this, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Let me tell you something. This was not plan B. Okay, there wasn't a business meeting in heaven. What are we going to do about these people? We need a sacrifice. Anyone? Anyone? And Jesus is like, Dad, I'll go. Okay, that's not the way it happened. Okay, this was the plan from the beginning. That's why you see throughout the Old Testament consistently points to Jesus. I would venture to say that any page of the Old Testament, you can find Jesus. Okay, because everything's pointing. So here's what's happening here. Peter's preaching to a group of Jewish people that are learned, that know the scriptures. And that's why he starts busting out all these Old Testament passages, because now they're like, okay, that's going to make some sense. I was always wondering about that passage. So Jesus' resurrection proves that he has power over death. He could not be held down. But next what Peter does he quotes an Old Testament passage from Psalm 16, 8 through 11. I preached through Psalm 16 when we did the Psalms. Um, and, it goes, and it starts off. For David says concerning him. So now he's quoting what David said concerning Jesus. Now, those Jewish people at that time didn't know it was concerning Jesus. But now Peter fills in the blank for them. I saw the Lord always before me, and he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me, make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, Peter explains why this passage is about Jesus. Remember, the religious Jew would know the passage so well, so Peter connects the dots for them. Then he says, brothers, 
I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Because basically that passage in Psalm 16 said, you will not abandon my soul. Um, and then it says, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. So now Peter's saying, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. So now Peter explains the words of David were about the resurrection of Jesus, not about himself. Popular belief then was this was David talking about himself. And these people in the crowd could not deny that because many of them saw the risen Christ. And they knew David was dead and buried. So this passage couldn't possibly be about David. It had to be about Jesus. And now understand this. We are witnesses, he says. The reason why he said that is a lot of people in that crowd saw the risen Christ. Imagine that, being in a crowd of people. They're like, yeah, I saw him. I did too. I saw the risen Christ. I mean, we talk about Jesus rising from the dead, and our friends and coworkers and people that we know are like, yeah, it's fairy tales. Nobody raises from the dead, right? That, that's what people said to us. These guys were like, I mean, he's got a point. <laughs> we saw him. I mean, so, so something must be happening here, right? So then he goes on and says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, continues on where, where Christ is, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So now he's saying, okay, Jesus ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. But now you're seeing this, the, the Spirit being poured out. That's what's happening here. So he's got this group of people. They witness the, the Spirit being poured out, people speaking in tongues, doing all these things right before them in languages that all of them understood. So basically, now what he's doing is he's answering the questions of those from verse 12. Remember last week, the people that were interested, they said, what does this mean? So Peter gets up, preaches a very clear sermon. This is what it means. This is what's going on here. People that believe in Jesus receive the Holy Spirit, and that's what you're all witnessing right now. Then Peter goes on to quote Psalm 110. It says this, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Now, Psalm 110 foretold what just happened, that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. So here's what happens now. Peter hits all the points. Jesus's ministry, Jesus's crucifixion, Jesus's burial, Jesus's resurrection, Jesus's ascension. And now he's checking the box of, and now here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit is coming to dwell on all who believe. So it's a complete gospel message, but now what Peter does is he gets personal, right? Because you can hear that. You can hear the gospel message. We tell people the gospel message. We have an intellectual exchange about 
what the truth is. But now what Peter does is this. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. That's pretty bold right there. That's pretty bold. He's standing in front of a group of literally thousands of people. How do I know thousands? You're going to find out. Okay, so he's, he's in a group of thousands of people. And he says, listen, guys, this happened to the Jesus that you killed. That you killed. He calls them out. This is a message for all Israel. The very people standing there delivered Jesus up to be crucified. Now, this is interesting, right? Because so many times when we're telling people about Jesus, we're worried about offending them, right? We're worried about offending them. We're worried about calling them out. But sometimes we need to call people out. Sometimes we need to call people out. We're worried. We don't want to say, oh, that what you're doing is a sin because I don't want to offend you, you know? Like, whatever you like to do, whatever. You know, we get, like, timid, right? And we're afraid sometimes to just... Lay it down. And I'm not saying go to work with your Bible and start beating people up with it. But I'm saying, like, you know, there are some people in your life that you've been chatting with, you've been talking with, you've been dealing with, you've been friends with, family members with. Maybe you've been interacting with for 20 years. And you've never really said, hey, listen, like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what do you really believe? Like, we talk about this stuff all the time. What are you doing? What, the, your life, the, the life you're living. Like, where's, where's your faith? Do you have any faith? Are you continuing on going? I don't know what that conversation looks like for you. But sometimes you just need to call people out. I remember years and years ago, I wish this story ended in this person getting saved, but a friend of mine and I, after I first became a Christian, we were literally digging a ditch. We were working for a contractor. We were digging a ditch. And he was just complaining, 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 complaining about everything in his life. And he's like, I don't understand why my life stinks like this. And I just, I don't even know why I said it. I was just shoveling dirt and I was like, it's because you reject Jesus. And I just turned around, and he was like, what, what? And literally, so we had this conversation after. He's like, well, I don't really reject Jesus. And then we actually had this conversation. Unfortunately, he, did, he still, to this day, rejects Jesus. But the truth is, sometimes you have to just lay it down for people. That's what Peter did. He said, listen, guys, you crucified him. This is what you did. So this is their response. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is the best, because they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart means conviction. Does anyone know, please tell me you do, does anyone know where conviction for an unbeliever comes from? This was a test from last week. Does anybody know? Where does conviction for an unbeliever come from? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. The Holy Spirit convicts unbelievers, right? The Holy Spirit's pressing on their hearts. It's not just you, okay? You might stink at witnessing to your friends. You might be terrible about remembering certain scriptures and stuff like that. But if the Holy Spirit is working, which it's evident that the Spirit was working on this day, their response to this conviction was, 
shall we do? What shall we do? So Peter tells them, says this. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's break this down a bit. First, the first is repent. Okay, what, what does that mean, repent? Well, Charles Ryrie defines it in his book, Basic Theology. Repentance is a genuine, not superficial change of mind about something which is followed by some change. So what Peter is saying is, change your mind about who Jesus is. Change your mind about what you've been believing. Change your mind about who Jesus is. And guess what? When you do, when you truly change your mind, and many of you have been in situations like this in life, when you change your mind about something, right, you usually follow it by a change in your life. You usually follow it by, if you, just, if you get up and say, you know what, I'm going to get myself in shape, what do you do next? Figure out what to eat and figure out when to go to the gym. If you just get up and say, I'm going to get myself in shape, and you grab your hostess donuts and, you're, and, and you don't go to the gym, guess what? Tomorrow, you're still going to look the same, right? You have to change your mind, but also change what you are doing. So Peter's telling them, you need to change your mind about who Jesus is. You thought you were doing God's work by killing him, but in fact, he is God, and you need to admit that. But what Peter says next, and this is interesting, and many people get confused by this. He says, repent and be baptized. Why does Peter tell them at that point to be baptized? And I've had people argue with me about this. The Bible says you have to be baptized in order to have your sins forgiven. And you've never heard of me say that, right? You, you hear me talk about baptism and say, baptism is a symbol of the inward, right? The inward, what you believe. It's basically proclaiming to everybody, this is what I believe. I am moving from death, the water, to life. It's symbolic. It's not necessary for salvation. There's no work that needs to accompany our faith. So why does Peter say, repent and be baptized? Well, Peter says, be baptized, and because of this verse, some people get confused. So when you see a passage like this, you have to ask yourself this question. And you've heard me say this. When the plain sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense. So the plain sense doesn't make perfect sense to me because I know that there's other scriptures that don't attach baptism with belief, that don't say repent and be baptized or believe and be baptized. Some do, most don't. So we know that other scriptures speak differently. So the simple answer is this. Peter was challenging them. Peter was challenging them. If you really believe in Jesus, identify with Jesus in baptism. So now you have thousands of Jewish people. Many of them actually delivered Jesus up. And he says, okay, here's what you need to do. Change your mind about Jesus and come forward and be baptized. You think that would be a big step for some of those people? Heck yeah. Remember, there's no church yet proper. It wasn't like, okay, I'm leaving Judaism to go to Christianity. Okay? There was nothing. Okay, It was like Jesus died, rose from the grave, and now all of a sudden Peter's up there preaching. So the simple answer is they were challenging them. For a Jewish person in the crowd to step forward and say, yes, I believe and want to be baptized would be a huge statement. It would show that they truly repented and changed their mind. 
practically speaking today, when, when do you question if someone has faith? When do you question if someone has faith? Well, when they're disobedient, right? You, you, somebody comes to you and says, oh, do you think so-and-so is a Christian? And you're like, I don't know by the way they're living, right? That's what we say. God knows their heart. But if we don't see a change, we, we don't know how to identify them. You know, oh, that person says they believe, but they're still doing all the same things, and there's no seemingly conviction, there's no report, re, like remorse. So if someone is disobedient and they are challenged or questioned by another believer, the proper response from that person is to admit it. Yeah, you're right. I am going the wrong way. Like if somebody said to me, if I went up to somebody and, and they said, I don't want to be baptized. And I'd be like, okay, you a believer? Like, yeah, but I don't want to be baptized. Well, the Bible says to be baptized. Well, I don't want to. I'd be like, I don't know where you are right now, okay? I'm not really sure. I don't want to get my hair wet. You're weird, okay? Here's the thing. Like if God says do something, when we listen, it shows our faith. God knows our heart. But it shows our faith, right? So the repent changed their mind. Are you going to trust him? Are you going to admit that he is God? So is baptism necessary for salvation? No. Should we get baptized? Yes, of course. It's an act of obedience. And you are identifying with Jesus. And that's what he's asking these people to do at this time. He also tells them what happens when we trust in Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. And guess what? Here's the universal promise to every believer. You will receive a gift, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you and I. Isn't that amazing? You know, sometimes in life as Christians, we might, we might be tempted to feel a little lost. I don't know what to do. You have the Holy Spirit. You have God's Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. There is nothing that God can't do through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. And the scriptures attest to all the things. Jesus talks about all the things that the Holy Spirit does for us. So then Peter goes on to assure them the gospel message is open to all. Let's look at this. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls himself. So now he's saying, this is a universal message. Okay? Some people say, oh, Christianity is exclusive. No, it's open to everyone. It's open to everyone. Then we find out that this is not the entire sermon. And many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So there must have been some chatter, right? When, when Peter was talking, there must have been a lot of chatter. Some people were still mocking. And Peter's saying, don't continue along with the crowd. That is a good message for today, isn't it? Don't get so involved in the culture and the people around us. You have to be alone with God. You have to settle your account with God. Don't get so caught up in what other people think and believe. Don't worry so much. Because guess what? If we get so caught up, like they were caught up in some senses in their religiosity, it blinds you to your need for salvation. Remember last week when I talked about how people deal with conviction and we put all these other things in our lives to deal with our conviction? Listen, at the end of the day, 
You have to settle accounts with God. You have to talk with him. You have to have a relationship with him. So let's see the results of Peter's sermon. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day 3,000 souls. Let me just tell you, that's amazing, okay? That's amazing. The church grew from 120 people to 3,120 people. That's a lot of people getting saved. That's a lot of baptisms right there. This was the first day of the church. So what did these early believers do? Well, the next verse sums up what we learned about all summer. Remember when I did that series, The Church is a Place Where We series? Well, this pretty much sums up that. Let's look. So this is what they started to do. After these 3,000 got saved, and there were days that went by, it says, then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostle. So here's what they were doing. They were studying scripture. They were having fellowship. They were um, observing communion like we're going to do in a few minutes. They were praying. What were the wonders? Well, the New Testament, like I said before, was not written yet. So they were living it out. The miraculous wonders of what God was doing in order to continue to bring people to himself in that early church before the New Testament was penned. And then it says this. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There was a spirit of generosity, alive and well. The believers were moved to take care of one another, to break the socioeconomic barriers so all would feel welcome and all their needs are met. Remember, this was by and large a group of people that were going against everything they were raised in, in a sense. Okay, in religion, in Judaism, they were kind of, they were stepping away. So they needed each other. There was this huge need. We see that in ministries that we run. Like I think of one of the ministries I think of is the Mops ministry that was started many, many years ago, probably like two decades ago here in the church. The need, a bunch of women home with their little children. Like, I need adult conversation. Let's bring me and my little child to this church, and they'll watch the kids while I can actually talk with other women. Well, guess what? That was part of why we did mops. Guess what the other part was? We wanted them to hear about Jesus. We're terrible, aren't we? Okay, <laughs> we, we manipulated that one, right? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. There was this huge need, and this is what was going on. They were breaking down the socioeconomic barriers. They were making all feel welcome. They were like, hey, you know what? If you step away from your Jewish family, like, you know, they're going to disown you if you trust Jesus. We got you. You're here with us. This is a good thing because you've trusted in the one who loves you. The one that they've been talking about that they didn't know they were talking about. And then it says this, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They worshiped daily together in the temple. They didn't have churches yet, right? They worshiped together. And, and day by day, day by day, people were adding to the number. The good news is that hasn't stopped. 
Okay, this is what we're living now. This is what we're living now. The church. This is where it started in Acts. Day by day, people were trusting in Christ. So you and I, as a church, we have a job to do, don't we? We have a job to do. To tell people about who Christ is and what he's done. And guess what? When they step away and say, yeah, I trust in Christ, and maybe everybody in their family mocks them, maybe all their friends mock them, and say, no, we got you, okay? You come here. Some of you, and I've heard you say this, you look at the church as more of a family than your actual own family because your family's so jacked up and messed up, and you're just so happy to be around people that get you. Well, we're glad we could be those people. We're glad we could be those people. So when we come together, one of the things that we do is we observe communion. We observe communion. And the early believers did this, and we do this now. We remember, first of all, we remember who Christ is and what he's done. The fact that his body was broken, his blood was shed on my behalf and on your behalf. So that's the first thing about communion. It's a time of remembrance. The second thing about communion is it's a time for us to actually evaluate our own lives. This is for believers. It's for us to evaluate our lives. And if you're walking the wrong way in any area of life, this is a great time for you to confess that sin, put it at the foot of the cross, ask Jesus to help you, ask the Holy Spirit to help you have victory in that area. I'm just going to give you a few moments where you can confess those things to God and then we'll partake together. Unlike Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Please bow as I pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. We're thankful for this early church and for the miraculous things that you did on that day of Pentecost. We're thankful for Peter's bold sermon and using all the Old Testament prophecies that he plugged